Our next speaker is Marion G. And I'm going to talk about our recovery and our children. Can you hear me all right? Okay, I'll fix it a little bit. Is that better? Okay. Um, our children are part of our recovery. One joyous aspect of life for the recovering alcoholic parent is regaining the possibility of a good relationship with one's children. The children have been there all along, loving the parent, um, trying to make sense of the parent's drinking, and trying to cope with growing up, all the time hoping that things will get better, trying to understand, and trying to help. They often have gotten disillusioned and angry, and have felt hatred as well as love. They have certainly felt afraid, resentful, helpless, and anxious. While he or she was drinking, the alcoholic certainly has lost touch with the children emotionally and then with the parent. It may be that they even have been taken away physically due to separation or divorce. Now in early recovery, the alcoholic may wish to reestablish the bond, but be uncertain of how to do it and how the children will react. There is no doubt that children do care deeply about their parents, and even if they may be alienated from them for the time being, eventually they will want to grow closer. It may happen right away, or maybe it will take time. The child will need to take time to recover in his or her own way from the effects of living in an alcoholic or drug-taking household. It's a recovery period for them, too. The immediate feelings of the children when the alcoholic parent gets sober, goes to a rehab, or joins AA, will usually be great joy. Finally, something has been done about the drinking. Daddy or Mommy really is going to stop getting drunk now and everything will be all right. It is very likely that the children will idealize the fact of the parents' recovery and will expect everything to be fine from now on. The parent now will be the one the child has always wished for. Maybe the child has even prayed to God and promised all sorts of impossible things if only God will help the parent quit drinking. It seems now as if his prayers are answered. The child is not prepared for the continuing work that the alcoholic and the spouse and also the children will have to put in to make a real success of recovery. The child may well be unprepared for the parent's need to attend AA meetings and a lot of AA meetings instead of staying home. This may be particularly difficult for a young child to understand and tolerate. He or she may feel let down by the parents and by God, and even more angry than before at the alcoholic parent, who now never seems to be home and doesn't seem to be giving them much attention at all. In fact, he seems to be home even less now than he was when he was drinking. He still hardly ever takes him to a ball game or helps him with his homework. This kind of misunderstanding can lead to serious disillusionment on the child's part and to a further depletion of his self-esteem. So it is very important that both parents talk to him and make sure that he understands that recovery is a lengthy process which takes time and is not just a matter of the parents quitting drinking. Similarly, should the parent have a slip, the child may not see this as just a stumbling block on the way to sobriety, 
but rather he may feel that it is catastrophic and signifies a total failure. So in the child, it may lead to depression, withdrawal, and exacerbation of school problems, or to angry acting out. With an older child, there may be other problems. One 16-year-old boy described his feelings when his father quit drinking as follows. I was very angry and upset when my dad got sober because I had to pay special attention to him and take care of all his needs because my mom said he was convalescent and recovering. So he had to be taken care of and babied, whereas before, at least I could get mad at him. Also, when my dad was drinking, I felt that I was the man of the house and I looked after my mother and I could get along without him. So I was especially angry when my dad started treating me like a kid again and started telling me when I should come in at night, where I should go, and what I should do with my time off. Who did he think he was, anyway? It is clear that when his father was drinking, this boy, although he resented the lack of attention and the absence of parenting from his father, at least derived a certain self-esteem from being able to take care of himself and be helpful to his mother. He enjoyed making his own decisions. Now he felt he was having to subordinate his own needs, um, uh, his own needs for attention to his father's continued neediness, and at the same time was not given credit for it, but was being infantilized by someone he still did not fully trust and could only tentatively respect. He felt his own hard-won autonomy and independence, which at least had given, had given him a sense of self-respect, was being taken away from him. He was not conscious of how vulnerable was his premature independence. Thus, the unexpected truth is that children may resent the amount of attention given to the recovering alcoholic. They resent the parent for having been an alcoholic all along, and may be ready to forgive him now that he's going to quit being so disruptive to their lives. The child has made a tacit bargain that as long as dad is going to be there for him now, he's ready to forgive him for the past wrongs. But it seems that the bargain isn't being kept. The alcoholic is still getting all the attention. Not only that, but the older kid may have been taking care of himself for a long time and not looking to his parents for help or guidance. When the alcoholic parent starts to take part in the child's life, it is resented and not appreciated. Children learn to make their own way in an alcoholic household. They are not saints, and they learn to lie, perhaps, and also to manipulate the alcoholic. They know the value of making the parent feel guilty, and it does not take long for them to figure out, for instance, that dad is much more likely to give them money when they ask for it when he's high than at some other time when he's got more of his wits about him. This, of course, makes them feel uneasy with themselves, especially now when the drinking has stopped. They do need both parents to take over responsibility for calling them on these manipulations and making it clear what is required of them. What I've talked about so far are some of the reactions that children may have in their parents' early sobriety. One conclusion that one can arrive at is that it is essential that children be included in the recovery of the alcoholic. It is very important 
that both parents establish honest communication with the children and find a way to feel comfortable talking about what is happening and accepting the questions and feelings that the children may have. They need to assume the role of the parent again, but realize that it may require tact, persistence, and extra understanding. It is of overwhelming importance that the children be included in any family therapy or other forms of counseling which make up part of early recovery. The child has been hurt by the alcoholic parent's behavior and also by the preoccupation of the other parent with the alcoholic, which has made it impossible to give the child enough attention. I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about what happens in an alcoholic household and how children are affected. Very often there is an atmosphere of confusion and denial about the drinking. The drinking is not discussed. Both parents try for a long time to ignore or minimize the role that alcohol is playing in the household. This may be particularly true in the households of doctors and other responsible professionals because of the special stigma attached to such people's being impaired. The reality that alcohol is taking over, in fact, is terrifying to everyone, so it is denied as long as possible. The children are told that daddy or mommy is very tired today, has a lot on his or her mind, is not feeling well, or has been working too hard lately. The mood swings, the inconsistency, the personality changes, the forgetfulness, the withdrawal, strange behaviors and events, or at the very least the distraction and mental absence which makes the parent unavailable to the child, are not acknowledged as such. They may be explained in a way which is really illogical and therefore confusing, or they may be ignored. All of this creates an atmosphere of confusion, unreality, and great anxiety. The child knows that something or someone is crazy, but he's not sure how or why or who is crazy. He has very important reasons for wanting to preserve his confidence in his parents and believe in their sanity. So he begins to feel that he himself is crazy and he can't trust his own judgment. The alcoholic cannot help behaving inconsistently and he can't depend on maintaining a stable state of mind because he can't predict what will happen when he drinks or drugs. At times blackouts make it impossible to remember what went on last night or even a few minutes ago. In the morning at breakfast, a father promises his 10-year-old son he'll help him with tomorrow's math test. They arrange a time that evening after dinner, but his dad doesn't come home after dinner. The next morning he doesn't even remember that he made the promise or that the boy even has a test at school that day. His daughter overhears him explaining to someone on the telephone that he can't attend an important meeting because he has just been called on an emergency, after which he falls asleep on the couch. Her mother acts as if nothing is wrong. The next evening he forgets to pick her up after school or after a dance. How are these children to feel? Certainly they will feel confused, angry, and unimportant. More likely than not, they will feel that they are not worth the parents taking the trouble with them. 
A healthy self-esteem cannot be maintained in an atmosphere where a child's legitimate needs are ignored. But also the child will feel guilty. Somehow it must be their own fault. They are much more inclined to protect the parent and blame themselves. One reason has to do with the child's own developmental needs. It is essential for children, particularly young ones, to maintain an internal image of a good parent. A child must create from the real nurturing of a good enough parent an idea or representation of a good, helpful, loving parent in order for him to establish a sense of himself as a lovable and nurtured person and also to feel safe and cared for during the time before he is able to care for himself. So in the alcoholic household, the child will give the parent more than the benefit of the doubt. Instead of blaming the parent, he'll take the blame on himself. Therefore, he really is stupid to need help with his math. If he had any brains, he could do it himself. He's too much of a drag on his poor dad anyway who works so hard. The daughter thinks that if she were a good person, he wouldn't forget her. If the child's own perceptions tell him that the parent is wrong or doing something irrational, the child will feel that it's his own perceptions, not the parents, which can't be trusted. This kind of experience leads the child to try not to make demands on the parent. He or she wants to avoid being hurt. Sometimes the child reverses roles, declines to be the uncared for one, and takes over the active role. He or she then tries to take care of the parent. Such a child often becomes a caretaker of everyone else, both at home and at school, and is the one the teacher can always rely on. He or she is often valued for these qualities and can look very successful. The vulnerability of the child and the fragility of this kind of reaction is not so obvious. The child is unhappy and anxious underneath the facade, and a successful appearance often breaks down later when the child reaches adolescence or adulthood. What may remain then is an isolated person, afraid of closeness and afraid to depend on others. James, a nine-year-old who is in therapy, is such a child. He takes care of everyone and always is considerate of others. He makes few demands on his mother who drinks, or his father who works very hard and is not in the house very much. He gets himself up and goes to school in the morning and makes sure that his goldfish are fed. He does his homework as well as he can and babysits his five-year-old sister. In school, he is very much in demand and he has lots of friends. In fact, everyone likes him and he seems to have no enemies. He never fights with anyone and in fact is very concerned that everyone else is taken care of, gets chosen for the baseball team, and that no one's rights are ignored. He does have a moderate learning problem and has had trouble learning to read, so that the school recommended private tutoring. In fact, he has tremendous difficulty in acknowledging the anger he feels towards his parents and has developed a severe reaction formation against any form of aggression which has contributed to his learning problem. In therapy, it becomes clear that he is afraid of anyone being hurt or disappointed. 
He is happy that he has many friends, and his friends are a genuine source of strength and comfort to him. However, he worries that he might let someone down. He worries very much if he can't attend someone's birthday party. He is upset that the child with the birthday might feel rejected and upset if he refuses the invitation. So he attends everything he's invited to, even when he would rather not go. He always responds to any request from teacher or friend. He is very unhappy if anyone is chosen last for the team, and someone always has to be chosen last. His teacher thinks he is wonderful because he even makes sure that the plants in the classroom are watered and taken care of. The reality is that he is terrified his world is going to fall apart. In his therapy sessions, he tells about dreams where he's lost in the desert and can't find his way home. He plays adventure games like Dungeons and Dragons, but in his games, things always turn out badly. And even if it looks hopeful in the beginning, as if he's going to be able to defeat the dragon, he always loses in the end. The most he can hope for is to survive a little longer. He has fantasies about the pictures on the walls of the therapist's office, where the cracks in the oil paintings are cracks which might open up and swallow the whole room. In his daily life, he carries with him at all times a map of his town with bus and subway routes, because the truth is his mother often forgets to pick him up from appointments after school, and he may have to make his own way home. When, because of the family denial of alcoholism, truly unlikely explanations are given for frightening events, the children become extremely anxious and have no means to test their fears against reality. The real results of alcoholic behavior can indeed be fearful, but never as terrifying and uncanny as the child's own fantasies about events. One five-year-old girl woke up one morning to see automobile tire tracks crisscrossing her front lawn. She was told that some stranger must have done that last night. She thought that some terrible criminal must have done it and might return at any time during the day or night to kidnap or kill her. For weeks, she was unable to sleep and unable to go outdoors to play for fear of the man coming back. She did not dare to question her parents or anyone else because she had already learned not to ask too many questions around her house. Of course, the real culprit was her father drunkenly acting out an argument with his wife, and the child vaguely suspected it, although she was not able to formulate the idea. Later on, that child might take along with her to school the taboo against asking too many questions. She will have learned that it is too dangerous to ask questions, so it will become dangerous to be curious and want to know about anything, in school as well as at home. So we will have another child with a learning intermission, which might well lead to academic failure and certainly to low self-esteem. Sometimes children react with rebellion and aggressive acting out. Such children are thought by some workers in the field to be those most likely to get into trouble with drugs or alcohol themselves when they reach adolescence or young adulthood. I'm reminded of another nine-year-old patient who was referred for angry, destructive behavior. He was said by his parents to be unmanageable, uncooperative, rebellious, and a smart aleck. Sometimes he told lies, 
and it, it particularly disturbed his parents that at times he left the house at night and didn't come home for an hour or more. At his first interview, he gave the impression of a much younger, frightened, anxious, and indecisive child who clung to his mother. He was unable to separate from her in the therapist's office, something very unusual in a nine-year-old. He could not give an account of what his difficulties might be. During the first few months of therapy, his parents continued to voice the same complaints about him. He himself showed a great concern with trying to maintain a very vulnerable self-esteem. He needed constant praise, constant reassurance, and seemed devastated if he lost a game. He said nothing about his home life. He seemed to be accident-prone. He once came with stitches in his hand, which he blamed on the seatbelt of his father's car, which it seemed hadn't worked properly when his father had to stop suddenly. One day his mother called to tell me that he had run out of the house after dark again and stayed out until after 10 o'clock. When I asked what had happened right before he left, she said, his father hit him, and then later when I hit him, he ran out. She didn't see the connection between the hitting and the running away, and wasn't clear about why they had hit him in the first place. Soon after this, his father confided to me that he felt that maybe he was drinking too much. He had had a drink prior to the automobile accident, which was not the first accident. It was the dashboard, not the seatbelt, which had hurt his son. And he had also noticed that often he could not remember events of the past day, so much so that he'd taken to writing himself notes to help him remember appointments and things. He did not feel, however, that he was an alcoholic, but he would like to cut down. His wife, however, did drink a great deal, and often spent the whole day in bed drinking wine. She always drank after dinner. Through all of this, the boy never blamed his parents and never spoke about their drinking. He got angry at the doctor for hurting him when he pulled out the stitches, but never once criticized his father for having the accident. Nor did he criticize his mother, although he sometimes beat him severely. In fact, he clung to her. He considered himself to be a rotten kid who got mad and broke things. He was showing the fierce loyalty, so common among children with alcoholic parents, needing to preserve his feeling of their goodness and accepting the blame himself instead. He did uh, act very aggressively. He got in trouble at school, and the mothers of his friends often called his mother to complain about him. With this particular child, in a household where there seemed to be so much actual physical danger, his aggression may also have been a result of what is called identifying with the aggressor, which is a particularly troublesome mechanism of defense. Both his parents got violent when they were drinking. They yelled and broke furniture and fought with each other, as well as with the boy. He was terrified by the violence and sometimes ran away to escape it, much, much to their fury. But also, he identified himself with the source of the danger and acted aggressively himself. In so doing, he was identifying himself with the source of his fear in order to make himself feel safer. He was transforming himself from the person threatened into the person who makes the threat. In so doing, he could conquer his fear, at least for the time being. However, such mechanisms become internalized and become part of the child's repertoire of defenses and part of their characters. 
The, the Lord was not aware of what he was doing, and he did this in other areas of his life besides the dangerous one. He became angry, unruly, and uncooperative in school, where he did not have to be, and, uh, more so than at home, and it caused him a great deal of difficulty with teachers, as well as preventing him from keeping friends. So, in summary, children are hurt by the alcoholic parents drinking or drugging. In almost all cases, the non-addictive parent is not able to be of much use to the child because of his or her need to cover up for the alcoholic, deny what is happening, to put in so much extra time and energy just to keep the household running, and to constantly attend to the alcoholic. The parent cannot give the child what, they, what it needs in terms of attention and support, or in terms of providing him with a healthy object of identification. The events in the alcoholic household create an atmosphere of fear, confusion, and danger. Life is unpredictable and full of hazards. The, ch- the child cannot feel free and secure or look forward to a manageable and optimistic future. Often the most they can hope for is to manage to survive. They feel deeply confused, unsure of themselves, and cannot trust their own perceptions. The children pick up the habit of denial partly from their parents, but they also have their own personal reasons for needing to deny the fact of the parents' impairment. Um, The younger the child is when the drinking was going on, the more severe will be the interference with his or her development. Most of the symptoms shown by the children, such as shyness, isolation, school problems, over-independence, aggression, or over-concern for others, are attempts to make up for and defend against the underlying anxieties caused by living in an alcoholic household. The children need to be helped to overcome the obstacles that have been in their way so far so that they can live through the experience and perhaps become the better for it. The psychiatrist Carl Manninger said that alcoholics were the only kind of patient he knew of who got better than well. I think it is true of the children of alcoholics, too. It is possible for them to live through the experience and in the end be more sensitive, understanding, and wiser people, having lived through the misery and also the recovery. But they do need help from their parents and probably from someone trained and experienced in helping them. They certainly should be included in family counseling and in the therapies which are educational and supportive. As much as they should be included in family counseling, even more they need to be informed about the dynamics and the nature of alcoholism. They also need support in allowing themselves to give expression to their feelings, and indeed to discover what their feelings are. For a long time, they have avoided experiencing or acknowledging their feelings. The parents, both the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic, need help with these things too. They also need to learn to share their feelings with children and with each other, and to help the children understand what has happened to them and what is happening now during the recovery period. They need support in daring to change the old ways of communicating with each other to healthier, more adaptive ones. Among the practical points that need to be shared is for the children to understand that it is of vital importance for the newly sober parent to attend AA meetings and that he or she must attend regularly and often. 
The children must be helped to realize that this is the very first priority, taking precedence over everything else. Birthday parties, high school graduations, Christmas, fire, and floods. Really young children may have trouble understanding this. This is some open meetings of AA. If the recovering alcoholic parent does not get comfortable to have the children at his or her own meeting, they can go meet non-alcoholic parents to another meeting. Older children can attend Alateen meetings as well. Children need help in accepting the concept of alcoholism as a disease. Children more than other people tend to feel that when something bad happens, someone must be to blame. Even though they get very angry at the parent, we have seen before that they often blame themselves for their parents' alcoholism. They need to understand that they did not cause the drinking or drugging and they can't cure it either. They are not responsible, either in the past or in the future, for the alcoholism of their mother or father. If they crack up the car, or fail an exam, or fail to eat their spinach, it has nothing to do with the parent's drinking. The parent must learn to cope with such frustrations by means other than getting high. If the child really can understand that alcoholism is a disease and not a moral weakness, and it can't be cured by any amount of willpower, then it will help the child's peace of mind as well as the parent's. The idea of each person's having his or her own higher power is very useful here for the children as well as the alcoholic. The children then can use the third step to let go of the responsibility and the blame and get on with their own lives. The confusion typical of an alcoholic household, which leads the child to feel he must be crazy, needs to be addressed. Children can cope with very upsetting and frightening events if they know that someone else in the house is aware of them and trying to deal with them. In order for the experience not to become pathogenic, the child needs to be told when a piece of behavior on someone else's part is crazy. Um, even when children have such things like a schizophrenic parent, they can grow up quite healthy if the illness is acknowledged and talked about for what it is. If the other responsible adults in the environment act as if nothing is happening, or do not explain that the sick parent is acting strange and that there is a reason for it, then the experience can be truly pathogenic for the child. Children also have a very hard time with ambivalence. They cannot tolerate being angry with or even hating the parent they also love. In an alcoholic household, they can't help being furious at parents and from time to time even wishing them dead. They need a great deal of support in learning to accept conflicting feelings and understanding that feelings are not the same as actions. Anger in itself cannot cause harm. Young children often feel that their anger might really hurt their parents or cause them to abandon them. In a normal household, they discover over and over again that these catastrophes do not really materialize, so they learn to tolerate their feelings. But in an alcoholic household, the message is not so clear, and the children are left with an overload of anxiety about their feelings. Children then do need to be included in counseling and family therapy. Therapies which, which work with support, education, and clarification of the realities and encourage communication among family members are invaluable. 
With children, however, there often is a limit in the amount of value these approaches to their treatment can have. The reason why is that alcoholism has had a deleterious effect on their lives during the time their characters were being formed, and the child's reactions to the alcoholic parents and way of life over a long period of time have become internalized in a more permanent way than with adults. Therefore, the early effects remain and often are not accessible to understanding and change through support and explanations alone. Such children can be recognized where there are persistent maladaptive behaviors, where there are persistent mood disorders such as depression or possibly an I don't care attitude. Overly independent children are also at risk. Children who are isolated, afraid to be close to others, or those like the young boy I talked about who can only be concerned with others, but who have trouble asking for help for themselves. Such children might need more intensive psychotherapy which can reach deeper levels of the child's personality. Some children suffer real abuse. They are beaten, severely neglected, or may witness truly fearful scenes between their parents. Such children definitely need skilled professional help, no matter how they present themselves. Whether or not a child will need intensive therapy depends on the age of the child when the parent is drinking and the degree of impairment in his emotional functioning. Children uh, forget the, the memories or experiences which have been painful. This is due partly to the painfulness of their experience, but there is another reason why they cannot remember and integrate early experiences, which has to do with their cognitive development. Piaget, in a series of brilliant experiments, demonstrated that not only a child's emotional status, but also his or her cognitive style changes with age. There are successive levels of organization in children's thinking, so that they reason quite differently at, say, ages 5, 10, or 15 years. Thus, their interpretation of a past event depends on their level of cognitive development at the time of the event, and what successive development is made of the original memory. Early experiences are absorbed egocentrically. Young children tend to experience the world in terms of their own wishes and needs. They cannot yet see things from another's point of view. They begin to be able to understand themselves and others in a limited way and be can begin to see another point of view between, uh, say, ages 7 and 11. But they are not really able to reason logically until adolescence. Only during the course of adolescence does the individual become able to conceptualize like an adult, use adult logic, or become capable of introspection. Children are not introspective, and nor can young children really understand connections between past and present events in the same way adults do. Therefore, children's past experiences become woven into their ways of relating and behaving, as well as their fantasy life, without their being able to have insight into the causes. As they grow older and employ successively more mature forms of thinking, the more mature forms of thinking supersede the earlier forms and cause the individual to forget how they put the world together at an earlier age. Thus, as they grow older, 
early experiences become inaccessible to them. For these reasons, it is more likely that the child survivor of an alcoholic household may need intensive treatment and skilled professional help. Without such help, the child may be just giving lip service to understanding during the time of, of uh, recovery. He may acquire the vocabulary of the concepts we teach him without really understanding them. We can help our children by trying to understand them and by making sure that they get all the help they need in understanding us and themselves. Thank you. Have some questions? Or? Does anyone want to make have any questions or comments? <laughs>